Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting into John chapter number 9, and we're going to be talking about this man whom Jesus comes across, who, who is blind, and that from his birth. And we're going to discuss what Jesus has to say at the first here about, to his disciples about the issue of sin and about the issue of the deformities as well as the infirmities that we face in our, in our lives today because of the corruption of, of sin in this world. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, that we've done anything wrong or that the other people have done anything wrong. Oftentimes in certain faith groups and in certain religions, especially when it comes down to the faith healing uh, concept religions, they believe that the closer you are to God, the healthier you are and the less likely you're going to be struck down with any kind of illness. Well, the more severe the illness is, on the other hand, and, and the difficulties of the sicknesses that you might be going through are because you have caused God to be angry with you in some form or fashion, just like what uh, Bildad and Eliphaz uh, over with, with the friends that were dealing with Job was, was basically telling him throughout all of those chapters up to 38 in the book of Job, that he needs to repent of God for whatever he's done. He's angered God, and that's why he has all these boils and all these illnesses that just won't go away. Of course, we know that that wasn't the case at all. We know that the illnesses that he was struck with by Satan were at the good pleasure of God for the purpose of revealing to Satan that uh, God's people love him, not because he's always blessing them as as per se giving him all these these material goods and and aesthetic pleasures but because we recognize to whom we are believing we we recognize to whom we are truly thankful for the very breath that we breathe in this day the very life that we have in this earth these are the treasures and so we're going to discover that the faith healing movement, though I still uh, firmly believe that God is doing miracles and that God is working through our prayers and the healings of other people, uh, more times than I can count, I've seen that that we have gathered together and obeyed the, the book of James in chapter 5, and we've laid hands on people and and I even anointed them with oil. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought you were a Baptist preacher. <laughs> this sounds more like you come out of a Pentecostal work. There's no crime in being obedient to the Scripture. In fact, you'd find that your Father in Heaven would be so much happier if you were obedient to the Scripture. And we've done these things before with, with congregations and works with people and, and I've seen miracles. I've seen the greatest of things happen. Well, it had nothing to do with me. There was no power endued upon me that I could touch someone and that they would be healed like Jesus could. But certainly in obedience, which is the key, in obedience to God's Word and being faithful, as the book of James in chapter 5 would say, the, the effectual prayer of the, of the righteous, and that word righteous is in connection to the people who are faithful to following the Word of God, and the effectual fervent prayer of that righteous will avail much or, or bring much to pass. And the reality is, is that sometimes God is just waiting for, for His people to acknowledge 
that nothing else can be done in this moment, but that God can do it. That that every human means has been exhausted, and and that man is left with with no other option that he turns to God. That's a sad indictment against mankind to begin with, because God ought to be the first person that we turn to, and God ought to be the first person to whom we trust in implicitly for everything to do with our lives. God ought to be the one to whom we cry out to at, at the moment's notice, but not just, just crying out in some in prayer or anything of that nature, but, but a genuine trust, a genuine faith and belief that God is going to do His perfect work. Now, the end result is, is that there are many times that I've prayed for people and the opposite of what I've been praying for has come to pass. There are many times that we have prayed for healing and I've seen that that uh, disease just ravage them and, and their health decline. I've seen, I've seen a lot of things to the antithesis of what I've prayed for others uh, uh, to God for. And the reality is, is that it's to God's good pleasure what's going to happen. We don't know. God does. We don't know the means which God will use to bring people into his throne room or, or to bring people close to him. We don't know how we're going to leave this earth or what our last day will be like or when our last day will be. We don't know any of those things. They're all a mystery to us, but they're not a mystery to God. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows if it's going to be old age or if it's going to be cancer or diabetes or heart disease. He knows if, it, if it's going to be uh, uh, being struck by a vehicle or struck by lightning or, or falling, just, just simply falling on the floor, getting out of bed or, or, or something of that nature. God knows but we don't. And so we rely upon him. We trust in him. We, we cry out to him in knowledge that he will do as it is good pleasure and, and good in his sight to do, that he will perform it. So all of that being said, we're going to look at John chapter number nine. We're going to look at this blind man who has been given to these disciples by God as a moment of example for Jesus to be able to use his life to teach them. And by the way, all of your lives are potentially an example of what God will use to teach others around you, rather by the words that you share with them or by the life that you have to live. Uh, by the words, you see all of the prophets of old, and you see uh, even Jesus right now. But by the life... Consider Jeremiah having to walk the trade routes naked for three years uh, going to Egypt. Consider Isaiah getting sawn in half through a tree. And, and again, Jeremiah being thrown into the deepest part of the prison and being released by the enemy that conquers uh, Jerusalem and, and destroys it to the ground with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Uh, consider all of the prophets who had suffered greatly under the, the kings and the leadership of Israel itself, the, the multitude of prophets that lost their lives at the hands of Jezebel, and, and 
several other uh, events that would take place. Hosea's life, where he is commanded by God to marry a prostitute for only for her to run off on him. Jonah's life, where he gets swallowed by a whale or a great fish, as it says in the Bible. And, and you just you look at the way in which these people's lives. I mean, Job, the one we used at the very beginning as a, as a reference, God used their lives as an example of his glory, of an example of his wrath, or an example of the people in the way that they relate to God. And so you just got to be ready. Being his servant is more than just him using your mouth for, for speaking his words. It could be moving you all over the nation. It could be sending you to foreign countries. It could be putting putting you in the hands of those who mean to harm you and throw you in jail. It could be a, a great many things and a great many reasons, but it's all for the glory of God, and the saints have to be prepared to serve God. So let's turn to the Lord in prayer, asking his blessing. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day, asking that you will give us wisdom, that you will help us see, help us hear, and receive those things, those treasures that you have for us in the Word of God today. We're grateful, Lord, for your time. We're grateful for your presence and ask your blessing in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, guys, let's get to John chapter number 9 and the reading thereof. And today, again, I'm going to be reading in the English Standard Version once more. I'm going to read the entire chapter as it's connected together. Then we'll go from there. So the Bible begins. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. He said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, Yes, it is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes, and he said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was, on, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, 
This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know how or who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who was being blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. Uh, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> and they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. <laughs> and the man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your reading. Now give us the sense, and we will praise you. Now we just might have to spend more than, than one day on this particular chapter just because of how good it is, just because of how rich and, and wonderful it is. But 
Whew, we're going to get started back up at the front here. And what we're going to discover is, is that a similar ideology that is happening with the disciples of Jesus, we're going, to, we're going to find in the Pharisees as well that are questioning this young man. Now, the concept that I'm talking about is what is said in verse number 2, because verse number 1, as they passed by, saw a man blind from birth. Now, as they passed by, this is no coincidence. Nothing that Jesus has ever done has been by coincidence. The, the, the happenstance of him being by that, that well of water in John chapter 4 where the Samaritan woman would come out to draw water. The happenstance of Jesus uh, asking the disciples what they have to be able to feed this 5,000 people according to the Gospel of John when he knows that they don't have hardly any food there at all. The happenstance, all of these things that you can look through in the life of Jesus, the places that he ended up, the places that he chose to go, that uh, everything about Jesus is, is by divine ordinance. It, there's nothing that Jesus does that doesn't have divine purpose. Well, as he passes by and happens to see a man that was blind from his birth, <laughs> as if, his disciples ask him, well, who sinned? Was it this guy because he's blind or was it his parents because he's blind? Now, here, here is the depth of the question that they're asking. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? Now, did this guy somehow inside of the womb during the formation of his body before his birth, did he somehow enrage God? Did he upset God uh, in some form or fashion that he would come out of the womb blind? I mean, just... Think about that one for a second. Consider the utter absurdity of this kind of question, but then look at a culture that was steeped in, in fairy tale, essentially, that, that was surrounded by Roman mythology and Greek mythology. Consider a, a society that is gripped by the, the idea of omens and by the idea of jinxes and by the ideas of... of wives' tales, as it would be, old fables and all this other stuff. Now, when, when you're so steeped in the idea of, of magic and Merlin, and, and, and of course I'm moving into the 15th century in England, but the concept still carried over from uh, the Jews and the oracles of Delphi and all of these different ideologies that would be swirling around their land from the from the multitude of gods and the lands around them, that they would have this concept to say that it must be a reason, there must be sin, there must be some kind of crime that has been committed against God. And the idea that a baby inside the womb that has yet to be able to even come into the world and yet to even have a moment to impact themselves or the world around them in sin yet is to be blamed for their own blindness and say, well, it's either the baby or it's the parents of the baby that's at fault. Now, in the concept of it being the parents of the baby, of course, the parents, we could certainly claim to be sinners because of the nature of being 
existent in the world and alive and and understanding the the scriptures teaching about being born in sin so yes the parents are sinners but god has clearly taught throughout the scriptures that the sins of the parents are not held against the children nor the sins of the children being held against the parents but that every single person is going to have to answer for the sin that they've committed in their life and that their judgment will be according to their works, whether they be good or evil, essentially as being the connection of their heart that guides their works. The absurdity of asking Jesus if it was this person before their birth that would do something that would cause the position of them being born blind, or that it would be the fault of their parents because of something that they have sinned against God, that he would be so angered at them that he would strike the child with blindness either way. Now, it's important to understand that we have children being born blind today. We have children being born deaf today. We, we, we have children with, with malformities of, of limb and, and all kinds of different issues, but this isn't because that the parents have angered God in a position that he would strike the child in the womb, not at all. This is because of the nature of corruption that is in the world and, and the degradation of our genome and the, and the failing of our DNA sequencing that, that would be an issue that transferred unto the child that would be born it has absolutely nothing to do with god striking this child because of some acute anger that he has toward us because the reality is is that our our lives have already been judged it's only a matter of time so when we came into the world we came into the judgment that god has already established about sin and it, it, any one given sin above any other given sin is not going to enrage God any more than he already is and that the, uh, that the judgment has already been established. And the only hope that we have from that judgment falling upon us in its severity is the life raft of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope that we have. Because in that Jesus stood in the gap between me and God and took all of his wrath, God's wrath, on, on himself as being Jesus in my place, having taken all of my sin and suffered under that wrath and died for me. That he would rise in victory over all of that and bless me with his life so that I could live. You see, this, this is the only hope that you have. But it isn't that God's wrath is going to pick and choose different peoples and, and strike them with these, these blindness coming as a baby being born as to say that it would be because of the parents that God would be so enraged that he would do this heinous thing to this child. It's not the case. Now, we do see where God has struck adults. Remember, he struck Miriam and he struck Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, with, with horrible uh, hemorrhoids is what it ultimately comes down to if we look at it in the, in the English concept. But he struck them with, with horrible disease because they were murmuring behind the back of their brother. And there's so many other examples. He opens the ground and he swallows 
uh, all those thousands of people in, in that one moment that were against him and, and his law. They, there are so many different examples through the scriptures where God does personally strike adults for, for certain things that they've done. But you won't find God striking any children. Except now, I gotta eat my, I gotta eat some crow on that. Except for David's son, who was born to Bathsheba, the first child that that was struck with death because of the crime that that David had done. Now that baby did have to suffer death in the place of David because of the the transgression that David had with Bathsheba and the transgression that David would would have Uriah killed and all all of this whole mess there but even at that it wasn't the child that God was striking it was David that God was was dealing with not the child the child was received by God again unto his throne room for it was the blessing of the womb to be opened for the child to come in the first place by God and it was the receiving of the child the death of the child by God once more so the, the, the child only knew blessing the child never even had a chance to really know sin he, he only knew blessing but David suffered that one because God was dealing directly with him so even in that example Though I said at the first that I would have to eat a little crow, that really I didn't have to eat it at all, did I? Because it didn't have anything to do with the child. It had everything to do with the judgment upon David. And so that the child will be blessed. But this child was blind. <laughs> and, and he grew up that way. And the disciples said, who sinned? This man or his parents, he was born blind. And, and Jesus just going to have to smack him. But of course... Later on in the trial of the, the man who now saw is going to face the Pharisees and they're going to say, where well, you were born in sin. Well, it's the same concept of what's being said in verse number two with the disciples of Jesus. This guy must have sinned or his parents sinned. He's born this way. Well, now the Pharisees, and you can see where the, the fishermen and, and the tax collectors and, and, and the hodgepodge of people that are now following Jesus get all of their understanding of the world around them come from these Pharisees that they grew up learning from who said, well, you're altogether born in sin. You can see where it comes from. And by the way, there's a lot of stuff that we may have learned from our youth and, and youth groups and in Sunday schools and in various churches and, and various pastors that had various ideologies that didn't really have anything to do with the Word of God. And, and we have a way of thinking about the world around us that is formed by these teachings we have received that may or may not have anything to do with God's word, and we are these disciples at this point that are that are calling out this person. Well, man, they sure must have sinned horrible. Look how sick they are. Well, they must have, they must have done something really wrong. Look, look at the, they they had all of the riches in the world, and now they're just as poor as I am. That th these guys really must have upset God somehow because they're just their lives have come into shambles. 
and, and we make these judgments without knowledge. We make these judgments based on what we have believed about success or believed about healing or believed about all of these different things from these different groups of religion out there that, that are connected loosely, very loosely to Christianity is the faith healing movement. Oh, you're sick. You must have sinned. You better get right with God and we need to pray over you so you can get healed. And and, and the prosperity gospelist where they say, well, you're poor. That's because you're so far away from God because God wouldn't have anyone to be poor. He wants all of his children to be rich. So if you would just be as faithful as I am, because I'm the one that's taken all of your money, and if you would just be faithful as I am, you would be as rich as I am. So you just need to start giving more to become faithful more so you can get more. The more you give me, the more God's going to bless you with. So keep giving me more and more and more so you can be blessed with more and more and more. And all of these ideas that exist out there are just nuts, but thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, follow this ideology. Jesus corrects his disciples in verse number three, and he tells them this. It was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, this guy didn't do anything wrong. It, it wasn't like he had, he had somehow cursed God having not even the ability to think or speak or, or, or even to really come into his being until certainly the, the third trimester of, of being in the womb. This guy didn't have an opportunity to be able to sin against God while he's still in the womb at this point. The only connection to sin that this baby, this man had as a baby in the womb was the fact that his generation, the very beginning of his, his cellular generation that would bring forth this baby in the womb is, is, is knit together in sin, that, that his whole frame is put together in sin. And the reason why is because he had an earthly father that came together with an earthly mother, and those two in their own corruptions brought forth a child that was sown in that corruption between the father and the mother that would come out a sinner because of being literally sown together by that seed of corruption that's in man. <clears throat> Remember that it's because of man that, that sin entered into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men that all have sinned. This is the this is the key trait that, that comes through the, the lineage of man in the in the passing down of corruption from one generation to another. It's important to realize that this guy he didn't really have the opportunity to do anything corrupt as a baby coming into the world. Now certainly after his birth he did plenty of things that were corrupt. Certainly through his begging, he, he would do things that, that would uh, be sinful. There's no question that there are, there are means and ways which he had sinned against God, but it didn't have anything to do with the reason why I was born blind. It was just the corruption of a DNA structure that would, that would not provide for, for him to be able to have sight. That's all that is. So, so Jesus said, it's not that this man sinned, it's not that his parents' sin has transferred to him that he was born blind, 
but that the works of God might be displayed. I'm going to do a healing, and I'm going to show you that people who recognize that they cannot see will then be able to see. Now, keep in mind that Jesus does a physical healing to this man, but that healing that he does that is physical is solely meant for the purpose of revealing a spiritual truth. The spiritual truth that is recognized in John chapter number 9 is that those who believe that they can see just fine are, are truly the ones who are most blind. And those who realize that they can't see anything at all, those are the ones who have hope to be able to have sight. Jesus said in verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, the concept, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming, is the recognition that, that we've got to be revealing the truth of the gospel to people as, as, as long as Jesus is in the world, he's the light of the world. Well, Jesus has never left the world because the Holy Spirit lives in you to reveal Jesus to the world then you have become the light of the world in the area of your life, and I've become the light of the world in the area of my life, and our light is Jesus and the gospel that we are so in intently studying here in John, that we would be a people who would, would proclaim the gospel, shine that light, and cause people who are in darkness, which is, by the way, blindness, to be able to have sight and to cause those that believe that they can see to be faced with such a brilliance of the gospel that they become blind and to help those who are trapped in darkness and recognizing that they are stuck in this this blindness to be able to see such a brilliance of light that their eyes cannot help but be opened unto that light to be able to see that's that's the work that Jesus is talking about in this moment. And there is coming a night when no one can work. That night that is coming when no one can work is going to be recognized at a point in Revelation when the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth, when the, when the 144,000 are, are taken refuge on Mount Zion in John or Revelation chapter 14 with the Lamb, where the martyred saints have all been slaughtered for the testimony of their faith, and that there's nothing left on this earth but the, the wrath of God to be poured out. There is coming a night when, when the world is going to be shrouded in such an utter darkness because of Satan and, and the Antichrist and the false prophet's intense desire to remove the light of, of Christ from the earth. There's going to be such a darkness where no one's going to be able to work. No one except the Father who's going to bring that to an utter judgment and, and end all that, that Satan has tried to do. It'll be over at that point. Hallelujah. Now, coming down... Verse number six said, having said these things, he spit on the ground. Now, this is really neat because Jesus does not just say, be ye healed. And the man just goes, oh, cool, I can see again. Didn't happen that way. I want you to see something really, really important here. 
Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. That he spit on the ground. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. Now, this is really exciting because he just, he makes this, this clay, he makes this mud from the dirt, and he spits in his hands, and he gets all kind of muddy. This is Jesus getting down and dirty, right? He, he gets all muddy, and he just smears this mud all over this guy's face. Of course, he's putting it all over his eye socket, but I mean, it's just going to get all over this guy's face. He's He just smears mud all over him. Now, in the position of this blind man, first, you can't see anything at all anyways, and, and you, you are presented with this man who is fussing at his disciples in your presence. It's not like the blind man didn't hear what was being said. It's not like the blind man wasn't familiar with, with being condemned for all of his life. People talking about him like he was a sinner, people talking about how bad his parents were because he was born this way. Either way, he's heard all of this before. So when the disciples jump in at the second verse, they say, okay, who whose fault is it that he's blind? This guy's just used to hearing that, and, and he's just sitting there. It's like, whatever, they'll pass by, and it won't, we won't have to worry about this anymore. But when Jesus begins to chastise his disciples, this blind man, I think, is going to start taking notice because rarely has anyone ever come to his defense before. And here Jesus is defending the reality that it isn't his fault and it isn't his parents' fault that he was born this way. It's actually an opportunity for God to be able to reveal his power through this guy. Well, that's a whole new take on on his situation. And so, of course, I think he's probably starting to perk up and pay attention to to the concept of this, this stranger who's passing by, who's actually taking notice of him, who's actually defending him. And so that Jesus, he makes this, this mud from his spit and the dirt, and he smears it all over this guy's face. He gives him a command. Verse number seven, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Well, there's a couple of things that are very important here. First thing is the command. Jesus told him to go. Now this guy, he has an, it would seem, I should say, that he has a choice, doesn't it? It seems like he could stay that he could just say, forget you, forget this, this is ridiculous. I mean, why in the world did you smear mud all over my face? Thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, that's, that's ridiculous. Just get out of my get out of my face if, if you're still standing there. I don't know. I can't see you. Or he just simply obeys and goes. I don't really honestly think that there was much of a choice to be had in this moment, though. Me personally... When the when the authority, when the voice of Jesus speaks to you and you hear his voice clearly, I don't think that there's an issue of you sitting there going, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to, to do what Jesus said. I don't know. I, I, I think, well, I just don't feel like obeying God today. Uh, I, I, for some reason, I think that this guy just implicitly followed this command, not that he would even give thought to it as if he was going to do it or not, but because this this man defended him, because this man uh, corrected his disciples about him, and because this man touched him, 
and and placed his hands upon him, even though he was smearing mud all over his face. I think this guy was prepared to do anything that Jesus had commanded him to do. And in fact, we see that he went and he washed and he came back seen. Now, this is the exciting part is that there was never a time where this man ever saw Jesus. You see, his faith, as it is revealed in in Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 17, his faith made him whole, but his faith came by hearing, and what he heard was the Word of God. See, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh. So Jesus, representing the authority of God's Word, telling this man as he as he smears this mud all over his face to go and wash the pool of Siloam. See, his faith gave him his sight, but it was because of Jesus' work in his life that he was able to see again. It, it wasn't a faith-healing moment. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those things where Benny Hinn would sling his jacket around or breathe on you or whatever else. This was a genuine connection of, of the work of Jesus in the life of a broken man to bring forth a healing that would cause and spark a revival in his soul to following God. His faith came by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus said, go. The man heard the word, obeyed the word, trusted the word, and from that came back seeing. That is priceless. It's just priceless in its reality. I mean, look at my time. Well, I'm, I'm out of time, but I gotta see, I gotta share this with you. Verse number eight the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, Yeah, that's him. Others said, no, but but he, he looks like him. And he kept saying, it's me. I think this is funny between verses 8 and 9, and we'll end here today before we get into the inquisition of the, the Jews on Friday. Uh, that's so funny there. But the neighbors, you see, a person who has been truly transformed by Jesus Christ, even though they're the same person, they're not the same person. A per- when you've come to faith in Christ and, and received that new birth, the Holy Spirit moves in. All things became new. And, and according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, it is true. People look at you differently. People talk to you differently. People consider you differently. People who are close to you and consider themselves your friends now are distancing themselves from you because you're weird. Uh, And it isn't because you've even said anything or had any conversations or tried to win them to Christ or anything else. It's just the nature of the Holy Spirit that has now moved into you is in direct contradiction to the wicked spirit that's in them, even though everybody thought that they were great people. And and it, it just repels them from being around you because of the holiness that now lives inside of you. And so, you begin to wonder, why are these friends, they, they used to be my friends, but they're not my friends. Why, why are they leaving? What is what is wrong with me? The truth is there's nothing wrong with you. Praise God, you're born again. The problem is, is that there's something wrong with them. It's a, it's a wicked and evil spirit in them that repels them from your presence. And that's the issue that's happening there. 
And these neighbors, they see this guy walking into town and they're baffled by this person who used to be a beggar, but guess what? He doesn't have to beg anymore. And, and because of that one singular change, it freaks everybody out. Nobody likes the idea of things changing within the realm of their society. Nobody likes the idea of people getting, you know, let me change my statement. Everybody likes the idea of people being able to be healed, but nobody likes it when it happens because it changes everything. Well, he says, isn't this the guy that used to sit and beg? Well, certainly some people who really wouldn't care much to pay attention to the guy that was begging anyways, they don't really have any personal stake in the matter. They're like, yeah, that's the guy. So what? I mean, so he's up and walking around now like he can see. Who cares? Yeah, that's him. But others who, who just, there's no way they're going to allow for this change to happen. It's, it's, it's crazy to them to even think that there could be a change that was possible. They said, no way. That can't be him because he was blind. But this guy's walking around like he could see him. But maybe he's like a twin. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's an identical twin. Maybe, maybe there's something to this family that, that has been hidden that we really didn't even know. Perhaps we can start up some some rumors, or perhaps we can do some some uh, conspiracy theory on this. This isn't the same guy, even though it looks like the same guy. Maybe he's a clone. Maybe he's a he's a whatever a robot. <laughs> I said no, but he's like him. But this guy, he he's going around now, and and it isn't showing that he's testifying that he's even been healed by Jesus. It isn't showing that he's testifying that that he's you know, anything about Jesus. This guy's just, just simply going around saying, look, I'm that guy. I, I was blind. I am that blind guy. That was me. See, that was me. But that isn't me anymore. That's what we're going to get into tomorrow when we consider verse number 10 and, and the question, how were your eyes opened? We're going to dive into that. Oh, we're going to get into the war of the Pharisees to the point where this guy gets excommunicated from the faith of the, of the Judaism in the synagogues only to be received by the true faith of the Messiah. Father, we thank you and praise you, asking your blessing be upon us. We're thankful, Lord, for this revelation that you have given to us and pray that you will continue to guide and direct our thoughts in these matters. Help us, Lord, to be able to understand to be able to see that we may uh, of all my of all mankind at one time who have been blind be able to see more clearly to be able to help those in blindness and in darkness to be able to see that marvelous light we'll thank you and we'll praise you for all the work you do in in us with us and through us now in the blessed name of jesus amen all right, guys, God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And we'll catch you tomorrow for the, the very question, how in the world were your eyes open? <laughs> God bless.